You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. How many times, how many times in the next 35 minutes will you check something out on your phone? I mean, how many times in the next 35 minutes you'll get a little Facebook update? Will you check the news? Will you look to see what time kickoff is tonight? When are the, when are the Cubs playing this afternoon? Oh, God, help the Cubs finally beat the Nationals today. How many times in the next 35, 45, 50, 60, 80 minutes? I don't know how long I'm going to preach. How many times will you check something on your phone. For about 15 years, I've been, I've been preaching using an iPad, which has been awesome. I love it, but every once in a while, I will forget to put it into airplane mode when I'm up here, and I'll get notifications on my screen. You know, I'm in the middle of saying something. I want 100% of my mind to be attentive to what I'm supposed to say and what you're hearing and get that feedback. And every once in a while, you know, something will pop up on my screen. You know, the latest tweet from Trump or something will be there and like throw me completely. You know, maybe it'll be a text message from one of my college-age sons. That will never happen. But you know what I'm talking about. You sit down in the morning, spend some time with God, and maybe, you know, you, you, you read Scripture off an iPad or a phone, and you get three verses in, and there's the clickbait, you know, there's the notification, there's the interruption, demanding your attention. Over the next couple of weeks, this week, we'll take a week off of the Holy Spirit emphasis next Sunday, then we'll be right back at this idea of clickbait. Your attention is being demanded. And I know we've all seen the funny videos right on YouTube. It's been a clickbait that you've clicked on to see the video of someone walking through the mall and they're looking at their phone and they trip and fall into the, the fountain or they fall into the pool or they walk into the busy street or they walk right into the wall. How many have seen those videos of people distracted by their phones? I found a new one this week. This one takes place in China. Um, at a parking garage where a lady walks into a parking garage, but don't think American parking garage, you know, don't think uptown normal, think China. Think a parking garage that is a massive vending machine for cars where you pull the car in and it takes your vehicle and parks it for you. And when you want your vehicle back, you scan in your code or whatever and your vehicle comes back to you. So think automated vending machine parking garage and accidentally walking inside one. Check this out.
that is a bad day. That's never happened to me. I've never tripped and fallen into a pool. I've never walked into a parking garage. I've never hit a wall. But I have missed part of my wife's sentence or most of a sentence, most of a conversation. Clickbait. Clickbait. So many things demanding that you pay attention. So many items demanding that you give it its attention. I often feel like this little picture here of this guy, you know, this kind of like Dr. Strange kind of motion going on with all of the devices and all the things in my life demanding my attention. Click on this, pay attention to that, answer this text message, answer this email, my phone is going, I got this voicemail, and it's going nuts. I look like this guy except no smile. Because the more things that divide and demand my attention, the higher my, my anxiety level gets. How many times have I said to my kids, just a second, just a second, just a second, just a second. I might as well change it to just a minute, just a minute, or maybe just an hour, just an hour, just an hour. What's demanding your attention? Here's the second part of that image. Average teenager in America now, nine hours a day on a screen. These 15-year-olds in 10 years will be the 25-year-olds. In 20 years, they'll be the 35-year-olds. How many hours of clickbait demand your attention? It's not an accident. You realize that? These devices, these ideas, these things demanding your attention is on purpose. It's a strategy. Because when you pay attention, companies get paid. Right? The more you pay attention, the more companies get paid. People are rich. Companies are wealthy. The brightest, sharpest minds are spending hours and hours and hours a day trying to figure out how to get your attention. Because if they can get you to pay attention, they get paid more. This is no accident. There is a strategy to get your attention and hold it because the love of money will drive people to get your attention so they can get more of it. Are you paying attention? Isn't that a funny phrase? Pay attention. We usually you know, say that to our kids. Hey, pay attention. Hey, pay attention to this. School teachers. Hey, are you paying attention? When you're teaching your 15-year-old to drive, pay attention! Pay attention. Think about that. Pay attention. Normally, when we think of pay, we think of a financial transaction. I will pay. So, I, I will reach into my wallet and pay you cash in exchange for some good or service. I will open my purse, slide a debit card, or insert the chip and get the uh, 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 sound. Because I will pay my asset to get a resource or a good or some item. It's an exchange. It's a transaction. Pay money. Pay attention is no different. We pay with an asset. And that asset is your limited amount of attention. You have so many seconds, so many minutes, so many hours, days, months, years, and then you're gone. Your attention 
is a limited resource and it's wanted. And we pay, right? We pay with our attention. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Are you giving your attention to something that the asset coming back, the good coming back, the service coming back is something of value? Are you paying attention to something valuable, something eternal? Are you paying attention to someone eternal? As a Christian, I believe there is someone eternal. I don't believe you're here as an accident. I don't believe you are some cosmic coincidence. I believe there is not something but someone that's orchestrating your life and all the universe. I believe the Big Bang wasn't an accident. It was an intentional moment. Let there be and there was, and it all started. Does the eternal one, does your creator, does your God have your attention? Jesus had kind of a a pet phrase a favorite statement. In fact, as you read the Gospels, you'll hear it repeated multiple times, probably three or four times in each of the three synoptic Gospels. You know what it is? You remember? If you've grown up in church, you probably know it. Jesus would say, if anyone, I think we have it on the screen. It's from Mark, this version. If anyone has a, say it, if anyone has a ear, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, anyone, anybody, old, young, rich, poor, brown, black, white, Christian, Jew, Hindu, Muslim, anyone. Jesus doesn't discriminate with our, about the years. If anyone, any one of us has an ear that's tuned in to hear, let him hear. The opposite is true. Anyone can have an ear that isn't really hearing, and they're not going to hear. This week, I got a, a Facebook notification for my Indianola High School class of 1990. Yeah, I graduated, what is that, 28 years ago. One of my teachers, Mrs. Zitzman, my eighth grade speech teacher, passed away. Remember your 8th grade speech class or maybe your freshman speech class? Remember that first speech class? Some of you have got to go way back. Speech class is the great equalizer, right? It makes everyone equally dumb, right? Every single junior hire gets in there. You have to take this class. And from the tallest, strongest, most cocky jock in the school down to the smallest nerd and everyone in between, we all had to stand up in front of people and give a speech. And we're shaking and we're nervous and we're trying our best. Speech class is the great equalizer. We're all feeling like an idiot together. Remember that emotion. Mrs. Zitzman would sit back in the back of her classroom. Whoever it was was talking doing their speech, and they're stuttering, and they're nervous. Half the kids are looking down. Half the kids are pacing. And she would have this little device that she would hold up. Here's exactly what it looked like. She would sit in the back of the classroom with this. She's saying, 
I want to hear you. I have an ear to hear. Just speak up, right? Talk a little bit louder. She'd sit there, legs crossed, arms crossed, hold up the ear, and you knew you had to speak up. Does anyone have an ear to hear? Does anyone have an ear that's determined to hear something eternal? Does anyone have an ear to push aside the clickbait, the distractions that demand your attention? Let anyone who has an ear to hear, let that person hear what God is speaking. Are you paying attention to the eternal one? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? All month long, all through September, I believe Jesus wants to speak some things to us. So I'm asking, are you paying attention? We've got this Sunday, next Sunday, Tim Inlow is going to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday. Pay attention as we talk about what the work of the Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is, how Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and change us and transform us. Listen and experience. There's this Sunday, there's next Sunday, and then we'll come back toward the end of September with one more about clickbait. My two parts in this, today and in two weeks, I want to look at two passages of Scripture from the book of Revelation that talk to churches that say, does anyone have an ear? Listen, I'm going to ask you to pay attention. Are you listening to what Jesus has to say to me to you, to us. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It begins this way. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. The angel of the church of Ephesus is most likely the pastor. Scripture doesn't exactly define it, but that's what's most likely. So to the leader of the church in Ephesus, and we know about the church in Ephesus, right? We just talked about how it started about a month ago. As we went through the road trip series, we talked about Paul starting the church in Ephesus. He went there after Corinth. He went there with his two tent-making friends, Aquila and Priscilla, the two people that took a risk and hired Paul for a part-time job. And they went together and started this church in Ephesus, and the church was planted. It grew. Paul left early on in the church's history. A guy named Apollos came taught them. The church grew. The church prospered. Paul came back on his third missionary journey, taught them about the Holy Spirit. They laid hands on him. They prayed. They were baptized in the power of the Spirit. They spoke in other languages. It was, wow, they're like, this is incredible. Ephesians, or Ephesus, that church was a good church. When you open your Bible and you read the book that's called Ephesians, that letter, that part of the Bible is to this church. Paul wrote it when he was under house arrest. When you read the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that's to a guy named Timothy who was the pastor of what church? Ephesus. This is a big deal church, strong church, leading church, and Jesus wants to say something to the church, and I believe he's saying something to me, and I believe he's saying something to us. Are you paying attention? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. 
You can read uh, Revelation chapter 1 where it says, the stars that Jesus is holding in his right hand are the angels of the churches. These are the pastors. So to the one who holds the pastors in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that's the seven different churches. Do you know God's walking among us? Jesus is walking among us? When we're out in the lobby sharing a cup of coffee, meeting at Connecting Point, praying for one another, speaking to one another, Jesus is walking around. He's like always snooping, checking out what's going on. He's got his ears tuned in. He's listening to the stories, listening to the words of encouragement. What's going on? Jesus knows what's going on. He says this, verse 2, I know what you're doing. I know your works, first assembly. I know on Saturday the men will gather, have a glazed donut, a cup of coffee, and a good talk and good friendship. That's good. I know that you sacrificed a lot of time and energy and money to do your first royal family kids camp. That you had 22 abused children, foster children that you served and loved and taught. He goes, wow, that's awesome. I'm watching what you're doing. I'm watching, ladies, as your leadership team plans the conference with Chandra Luca. Um, Chandra Lucas, and you're going to talk about women being brave for God, the move of God's power and spirit among our ladies. He goes, that's awesome. I know what you're doing. I know your toil, verse 2, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but instead you've tested them. You don't put up with evil. And what's the evil they won't put up with? Sometimes churches think the evil that we shouldn't put up with is the stuff outside. It's like, oh, all that wicked stuff, we can't put up with that. We need to march against it. We need to protest it. What's the evil that the church cannot bear? He says, you cannot bear the evil, but instead you've tested those who call themselves apostles. In other words, people who call themselves sent from God. I am sent from God to teach you. And they're a fake. And they're a fraud. That's the evil. He says, you cannot bear with the evil, but instead you've tested those who call themselves apostles, but they're not really. You've found them to be false. Many times churches think the evil we need to be most careful about is stuff outside the walls, and it just isn't true. The stuff that takes churches down is when the leader is fake, when the leader's a hypocrite, when I may speak the truth, but I live a lie, or I may live the truth, but I speak the lie. It's this church in Ephesus that Paul would write to Timothy, the young pastor. says, Timothy, watch two things. Pay careful attention to two things as you pastor the church. Watch your life and your teaching closely. Watch your life. You better live the truth. And watch your teaching. You better teach the truth. Because the two things that will sink the work of God in the church is not all the stuff outside our walls. It's when we become hypocrites. When we love money more than Jesus. When we love power. We love being right. We want to be in control. And we haven't given that up to the Lord. Or when we teach fake stuff. So God says to the church in Ephesus, I see you. I know you're working hard. You're doing great things. You haven't tolerated the false teaching or the false people. You've put aside hypocrisy. You're the real deal church. That's awesome. Have you ever had someone do the sandwich kind of conversation with you? You know what I mean? Say something good, deal with the hard stuff, and tell them something good in the end. You know what I'm talking about? The sandwich method? 
pull your kids in. Hey, I really, really, really like the A you got in that class. You did awesome. I love how you're studying, but your room's a mess. But hey, you know what? We're having pizza tonight. You know what I'm talking about? The sandwich method. Here it comes. Jesus said, I see what you're doing. You're doing good stuff. You're working hard. You're doing good things. You haven't tolerated hypocrisy. And the end, he's going to tell them you're doing good stuff too. But here comes the middle. Are you paying attention? Here's what Jesus has to say. I know you are patiently enduring. You're bearing up for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. But I have this against you. You've checked all of these boxes, all of these things you're doing right. But I want to talk about this. Are you paying attention? Come on, second service. Are you paying attention? I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned something important. Interesting word choice for abandon. It's the same word that we would translate to forgive. In fact, the word to forgive and to abandon here is the same word. We often think of forgiveness that way, right? I'm going to let something go. You're going through life and you accumulate pain and hurt, rejection, and it eats you up inside and there's this bitterness in you, there's this anger, there's this hurt, and eventually you take that out and you go, ah, and you lay it down and you say, I've got to let that go. I can't move forward in my life unless I let this go. So you pry it out and you cry out to God, I forgive that person, I let that pain go, I'm going to leave it there, I'm going to keep going in life and I'm going to leave that behind. Make sense? I've abandoned it. Here, John the Apostle, as he's writing the words of Jesus, uses the same word, except we're abandoning something that's really important. You've been going through life. You've been doing lots of good things. You've been really busy. You're working hard. You haven't tolerated hypocrisy. You really want the real deal. You want the truth, and you want it lived right. But you've just let something go back in the past, and you've kept going. I'm still doing good, I'm working hard, I'm preaching the truth, I'm living it right. But way back there, you left something behind. You set it down quite by accident. You followed a too much clickbait, you weren't paying attention, you've drifted apart, you've wandered off, and look what you've left behind. And what have they left behind? You've abandoned what? the love you had at first. You left behind love. Love. The love you had at first, at the very beginning, the thing that started it all, the thing that sparked this whole thing, you left it behind and you didn't even realize it. Are you paying attention? So what is that first love? Jesus doesn't define it for us in the text. Some would say that first love is the love for the lost. The greatest love is the compelling love of people to love others. It's a good answer. A second answer that I think is preferable is love for one another. Jesus said, this command I leave with you, a new commandment I'm giving you. And what's that? Love one another. Have you ever been to a church where people didn't love each other? It's not a church. 
It's ugly. It's a congregation that gathers, listens to some guy talk, and they all go to their cars and drive home. Yuck! When a church doesn't love one another, it's no longer a church. I won't go any further. But I think the love that Jesus is referring to, if I had to put odds, I'd probably say 80%, I would think it's this. It's love for God. From the beginning of Scripture to the end, I'm the Lord your God, I'm the only one, so love me. Love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. When you love God with everything, guess what? You love each other. When you love Jesus and I love Jesus, we love one another. You may have voted different from me. I don't care about that. I love you. I want to know you. You may have grown up in a completely different context. We may have lots of values that are different, but this one value compels us to love one another sincerely and deeply, and that's we've both met Jesus and we've fallen in love with Him. We're brothers and sisters. When you love God with all of your heart, the neighbors that live so differently from you, you learn to love. Their values may be the complete opposite of yours. Suddenly, that F-bomb that was so offensive, it doesn't bother you so much because you love them. I love God and you're a son or daughter of God. You're called to know Him. I want to love you. The love of God compels us to love people differently than us. In fact, the love of God is so life-transforming. You love your enemy. When they hate you, spit on you, curse you, call you names, call you a bigot, I love them. The love of God changes everything. The world can't experience that. That's the life-transforming love of God that unravels everything I thought and makes me a new man. You've abandoned something. Somewhere back there, I set it down and I didn't even realize it. You do this well, you do that well, you do this good. I like how you're doing that, but up, oh, you forgot your first love. Jesus goes on to say this, Here's the solution. Remember, therefore, from where you're fallen. Remember where you left it. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, if you don't, if you don't make your way back, what's the consequence? If not, I, Jesus, I'll come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Those are strong words, aren't they? I, I, I want to break you some, break some tough news to you. Jesus doesn't need us. Jesus doesn't need first assembly. Jesus doesn't need me. If I abandon my first love and just keep going, just keep serving him, but I'm empty and cold inside, Jesus can say, you know what, Joel? Out of my way. I'm going to do it without you. When a church ceases to love the lost, ceases to love each other, ceases to love God, God can say, you know what, First Assembly, excuse me, I'm moving on without you. Jesus doesn't need us. This country is littered with closed churches. 
Because Jesus doesn't need a particular group of people to accomplish his mission. We need him to accomplish his mission through us. Make sense? So Jesus is saying, I love what you're doing. You want to serve me well. You're working hard. You're teaching the truth. You don't tolerate stuff that's hypocritical. You just left this behind. So remember that. Repent for it. Go back and capture it or else I'm just going to move on to some other group of people. He, verse 7, he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit is speaking, let him hear it. Let him hear it. To the one who conquers, in other words, the one who accomplishes these things, the one who follows through, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In other words, this is an eternal thing. Eternal things hang in the balance here. Clickbait. Clickbait. Are you paying attention to something eternal? Are you paying attention, attention to the one who's eternal and what he's speaking today? Let the person who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what does Jesus say? I love all this stuff. It's all good. But you've abandoned where you started, that love that's at first. Is God trying to get your attention? Is the Spirit of God trying to get your attention today? Let me give a couple of examples. Sometimes God gets our attention by like erecting a wall right in our way. I mean, he's just like, he's like the master mason that just builds this block wall to prevent us from going forward. When you're going the wrong way, and you keep banging your head against the wall. You back up a little bit further, and you run a little bit harder, and bam, you hit the wall, and you try it one more time, and you're bloody-nosed, scarred-faced, you're bleeding, like, I don't understand, I can't get through the wall. Big piece of advice. Stop it. Stop it. Some of us know God has been preventing us from doing what we want to do. You try to move forward in a relationship and it keeps breaking. You've tried one guy, then the next guy, and the next guy, and he keeps saying, God must not like me. What's wrong? Why won't he bless me? And it's not God against you. God is trying to stop you. God has put you in a position to get your attention. It's not that God is against you. He's for you. You're just rebelling. Ezekiel puts it this way. Short little a powerful verse, Ezekiel. Here we go. You dwell in the midst. In other words, here's your culture. You dwell amongst people who live like this. You have eyes to see, but you're not seeing it. You have ears to hear, but you're really not listening. Why? Because you're rebelling. God can speak to you. God can show you, but you just refuse to bow. Bow down. Some of you in your marriage, you've been at each other's throats, you've been hitting the wall of each other, you say, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with him? Well, what's wrong is neither one of you are bowing down to Jesus. You're rebelling, and you're bloody-nosed, and you're bruised because you're hitting the wall. Stop hitting the wall. Hit your knees. Say, I'm sorry, I'm going to go a different direction. Is God trying to get your attention? Maybe it's the still small voice, the gentle whisper of God. All summer long, we've heard it. 
probably five individual moments in this church, whether it was from Pastor Kenny or someone from the audience or a song or from me, God has been continually speaking throughout the last three to four months about letting go of things and bringing it to me. Sometimes things were said like, how much longer will I have to ask you to lay it down? Evidently, some of us are hearing God saying, you need to let it go, and we've been holding on. Isaiah, I think it's chapter 30, says it this way. Your ears shall hear a word behind you. Hey, this is the way. Go over here. God is speaking and whispering. You need to veer off to the right. You need to turn to the left. Are you paying attention to what the Lord is saying? That whisper can become a shout that can become a yell. You've got to pay attention. Or maybe it's simply today you realize somewhere back there is that first love. Maybe for you, it's not a wall. You look at your life and you're like, I'm not hitting a dead end. I'm not frustrated. I don't feel like God is stopping me. Maybe it's not a whisper that you've been denying and not obeying, but maybe for you, you just honestly look back at your life and say, yeah, I don't know if I love God with the passion of my first love. That first love is awesome. September 17th, 1992, my first date with Angela. Oh, man. There was one thought on my mind. Why, I don't even want to share all the thoughts in my mind. Every thought was about her. Every moment, every day, I wanted her to think about me, and I was constantly thinking, about her. Remember guys, remember ladies, those of us that have been married, now I'm on two and a half decades. That first love, walking around the campus of the now closed Central Bible College, I was there and I'd walk through the campus and I was always wondering, where is she, where is she? I'm scanning, I'm like the radar, I'm looking for her because I know she's looking for me. And I'm walking as tall as I can walk because every quarter inch matters, man. You're just... You know, you, you want to put risers in your shoes. You want to be there. Back in the, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was buff. I was really strong. I was a wrestler. I lifted weights all the time. I got, there's stories I could share, but I won't. Thank you, Lord. And man, it was, you know, and I would, I would wear shirts and I would like tweak that tricep. I'm going to impress this girl. I want this girl. And the ladies, it was the same for you. Remember back in the 90s, all the big hair? I don't know how many cans of hairspray Angela would use, you know, up there on the fourth floor of Bowie Hall, getting ready to meet her man. I mean, we were young. We were infatuated with each other. That first love is special. It's awesome. It's all-encompassing. And now we've been married almost 25 years. 24 years and like three months. I wouldn't trade, I mean this all the my heart. I, w- I don't want to go back to dating. Thank God those days are gone. We love each other deeply. I understand her so much more. We've been through some of the darkest days together and some of the highest days. She's my partner for life. It's beautiful. But every once in a while, it feels like you're two people sharing a mortgage. 
And you've got to say, you know what, we better, we better get a weekend together. We better, we better sit across the table, find someone to take care of the kids, and, and fall in love again. Because I don't want to go too far down the road with too much clickbait, too much thing, too many things demanding my attention. Good things! Godly things! I don't want to lose our first love. It's the same with God. You've set it down somewhere. And yes, you're still busy. I'm looking at a congregation that loves to serve, does good things. I love you. I believe in you. But have you let the first love go? It's just somewhere back there. And you need to rekindle that. When you serve God and you work for God, but your love has grown cold, that's a stale place to be. So what do you do? What do you do? Jesus tells us what to do. He uses three commands. It's very simple. One command you keep doing forever. The other two commands are moments. The first command, it's an imperative that's in the present tense. In other words, it's a present part of your life. You're always doing it. You're always conscious of it. His first command, it's in verse 5. starts with an R. Remember. Remember what that was like. Remember how far you've walked. Here's that first love you led aside. Look back. Oh my, I didn't realize I had drifted so far from that intimate, fresh, innocent, passionate, consuming love for you, God. I remember that. You think back. Look look at what I've done. Look at how far I've come. Oh no. You remember. It's not nostalgia right? You're not trying to recapture an era of your life. It's not like, well, if I could just play that song from 1982 and I'll lift my hands and God will move, right? We just put back the orange carpet and the orange altar. If I could just go back. If me and my wife could just find that eight-track cassette player and plug in that song, you know, we had in 1974. Oh, look at all the goosebumps again. That won't solve a thing. It's not about nostalgia. It's about relationship. It's not about returning to an old era. It's about returning to an old friend, your Savior, your Lord. Remember, second is not an ongoing present command. It's an aorist in the Greek. It's it's something you just do. It's a command you take action on right now, and that's repent. You remember constantly, oh yeah, I got to go back and rekindle it. And then there are moments of repentance, a day, a time, when you hit the altar, when your knees hit the floor, when you wrote in your journal, God, I'm sorry. I recognize I need to come back to you and I turn back. You repent. Repentance is that moment where you turn your momentum, you turn your activity back to that place of first love. You remember continually and you have moments of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. You remember, you repent, and then you re-engage. I love how the verse ends. Remember how far you've come from my first love. Repent, go back there, and then do the things you did at first. Re-engage. We know that in human relationships, right? Love without action doesn't work. Right? I can tell my wife, oh, I remember how I used to treat you. I repent, but I'm not going to change. Oh, 
I'm going to go back and rekindle those flames, but I'm not going to do anything different. Then it's empty. It's shallow. It's meaningless. So we remember, we have a moment of repentance, then we say, I'm going to start doing again. I'm going to take action to make something happen together. We're going to do life together. Me and you, God, we're going to do something great. And man, that's fun. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Very last conversation, one-on-one with Peter. Jesus pulled him aside. He's about to be ascended to heaven. He's already died and resurrected. He's got Peter. Come on, Peter, I want to talk to you. And he asks Peter the same question three times. You remember? He says, Peter, do you? Yeah, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yo, Lord, of course I love you, man. Me, you, we're tight. And Jesus says, then if you love me, do you remember? Feed my sheep. In other words, do something in my kingdom. They walk a few steps further. Jesus stops. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, uh, yeah, I just said I did. Then feed my sheep. Third time, let Peter, who has ears to hear, let Peter hear. That's what Jesus is doing. You got it? He's saying, Peter, you're not paying attention. Third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, exasperated, says, you can almost see the body language where Peter would have just stopped walking, just backed away. He said, Jesus, of course I do. How many more times do I have to say yes? And I see, Jesus, how many more times do I have to tell you? Feed my sheep. What's he saying? I've called you, Peter, for a role in, our, in the church that I'm building. Do it. Do what I've called you to do. You can remember all day long. Oh, I remember the good old days with Jesus. You can repent over and over and over. I need to get back. I need to be back. But until you and Jesus, in a loving relationship together, do something for God, it's worthless. It's empty. How boring is the kingdom of God if you just sit in a brown chair? Is that what the love of God does in your life? Then you haven't experienced the love of God. The love of God compels us and calls us. I firmly believe in every single one of you. I've got your eyes. Listen to me. Every one of you, when you've experienced the freshness of God's love, there's likely, and I believe it is probable, that there was birthed in you one thing that's the, that's the most important thing for you to be doing in the kingdom of God. The one thing. You'll have multiple assignments and it'll be expressed in a lot of different ways, but there's likely to be the one thing that should shine above all the others. What you're called to do. Is it to sing? Then sing. Is it to teach? Then teach. Is it to serve kids? Serve kids. But here's what happens. When we're young and in love with God, we venture into that thing that we were first called to do, and then someone offends us, we get burned out, bad things happen, a pastor lets you down, a leader betrays you, and you say, you know what, I'm going to back away. And that's understandable. There are times we all need to back away to heal. There are all times, there are, for all of us, we say, you know what, I just need to take a time out work through some things. The problem is we don't work through them, fall back in love with Jesus, and then get started doing that thing again. What is it that Jesus has called you to do at the first, at the start? We can do lots of things, but what's the one thing? Do that. 
and do it well. So let me bring it home. Here's the end. What do you need to do today? Some of you, some of you need to just acknowledge, I, I need like a whole fresh start back in love with Jesus. Like, I've wandered a long way. I've been doing the church thing. And man, I, I, I'm just not in love with Jesus anymore. And you need to start over. You need to go back to where you began with Jesus. For some of you, this will be your second, third, fourth time in your life that you've had to re recalibrate yourself and go back. But for some of you, it's the first time. Some of you are here and you've never really experienced the love of God. Life won't give you that. Circumstances won't demonstrate the love of God to you. Relationships out here won't. The Bible says this. This is how. This is what Scripture says. This is how we know the love of God. So do you want to know if God loves you or not? I've lived through enough stuff in my life that I've doubted the love of God. And I have to re-engage with this one truth. This is how you know God loves us, that he gave Jesus to die for us. That's the one thing that I always land back on. Because when life isn't fair, when I feel hurt, and I go, God, are you serious? He reminds me, yeah, I know that stinks. I died for you. I love you. Don't you forget it. And I re-engage in the most basic love of the universe, that a God who is perfect and knows my imperfections still chose to love me and die for me. And some of you, to re-engage in that love, it's going to be for the first time this morning, you say, okay, creator God, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, I believe you love me and you sent your son to die for me, so I'm going to start trusting you and everything will change from that moment on. Everything will come to a different alignment. And some of you need to make that decision this morning in our last few minutes together. In fact, if you need to make that decision today, here's what I want you to do. We're going to take about 15 seconds and pray, all of us together. You say, that's weird. You know, I've never prayed. I've never talked to God. I know it's weird to talk to God. But he loves you. And you can. And it's what you were created for. And we're going to do it together. And then the next thing we're going to do is take that connect and belong card. It's on the back of those chairs. You just mark, I've chosen to follow Jesus. And that will help us help you get into growth track. So you can start learning some of the basics that you need to follow Jesus. So if you need, first and foremost, to have a fresh start, here you go. Are we ready? Are we ready to pray together? All of us looking up here, let's pray. However you, if you want to bow your head, close your eyes, you want to fold your hands, or you just want to sit and look at me, that's all fine. You're just going to talk to God. We're going to do it together. So here we go. Dear God, I believe you love me. Not because my life has been perfect. Not because circumstances have been great but because I believe you sent Jesus to die for me. You've seen all my failures and yet you've loved me and you died for me so I can trust you. I put my trust in you. I trust you to show me how to live and I trust you to take care of my life and I choose to follow you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you just, you just went for the first time 
to express your love for God and start that relationship. I'd love to see you at Connecting Point. Two more things in our last three minutes. Some of us have not been paying attention. You've been so inundated by clickbait, whether it's work life, relationships, stuff, entertainment, you're so distracted, you don't have an ear to hear any longer. You wake up in the morning and you're busy about your day and you have forgotten your first love. You need to take a first and last phone fast. Take a week, seven days. We'll see you next Sunday morning after you've done it. A first and last phone fast. First hour of the day, last hour of the day, no digital device. Take that first hour in the morning, no screen time, make it about Jesus and people. God has put, for most of us, people in our life that are eternally important. Your parents, your kids, your siblings, your walk with God. First hour of the day. Last hour of the day, when it's 61 minutes before you go to bed, check the Cubs score, ESPN app, that's good, but that last hour, I'm shutting it down and I'm just going to reflect I'm going to sing some songs in my head, maybe write in a journal, think about the things that are eternal. Fast that first hour and that last hour and see if God doesn't rekindle your walk with Him. It's like going on a second honeymoon with God. I'm devoting some hours of my day uniquely for our relationship. Number three, lastly, Some of us need to completely start over. Some of us need to fast the phone during the first and last. And then lastly, it's this. Some of us, many of us, need to re-engage in that first calling. There is nothing that stokes the flame of our love for God more than when we're doing what God has called us to do and it's so much fun. When we know like, wow, this is what I've been called to do. It's so painful and so sad. When we had that calling, we've let it go. We've backed away. And maybe you're busy doing other things, but you really know the most important thing you're avoiding. That one love, that one thing you used to do that was so much fun, but those days have gone. That person hurt me. I got too busy. I've abandoned that. What is that thing? re-engage with it. Because when you're serving God in the area of your calling, in that area of that first love that ignites passion and love, and it's this self-fulfilling, growing energy of the Spirit, falling in love with Him and serving Him in my place of calling. So what is it? Some of you have been called to work with kids and you got burned out. And there's no one better than you to serve. I got this post. I see the, the, the father who posted this. He's given me permission to share this. This is from our children's ministry. Joe posted this on Facebook in the past. He's writing about his son, first initial J. In the past, Jay determined if church was good by what prizes he got and how long he got to play video games. How good are the prizes? How good are the video games? After two weeks at First Assembly, He was excited that each kid had his own Bible to follow along in. He's been badgering us to get him his own full Bible, and today he got the Action Bible from Amazon. 
It's, an illustrate, it's illustrated like a comic book. He loves it and has read it constantly tonight. He even fell asleep with his new Bible. That doesn't happen on accident. That doesn't happen when Pastor Joel does kids' ministry. It's when there's a person who sits down in a circle on the ugly green carpet squares. There's something wrong when our ugliest room is our kids' room, I'm just saying. Sit down with those kids and you open a Bible and you show them how to read it. How many of us, most of us, found Jesus when we were young? Some of you are called to invest in the next generation and you're not doing it. Don't expect to rekindle the flames of the first love if you're not willing to do your first calling. It won't happen. It's always an action. This couple weeks ago, I failed to put the picture up, so my bad. Got a picture on our Facebook, on the Unite Facebook page. This was two Wednesdays ago, and there were this huge crowd of students, junior hires and high schoolers, all at the cafe tables. And there was, at those tables, there were probably, it looked like 25, 30 students. There was one Unite person, and there are three visitors. One Unite regular tender, and there are two visitors. The room was packed with the inviters and the guests. Awesome. Who's discipling those students? Who's called to sit down with that 13-year-old boy who doesn't have a dad? Look him in the eye and show him what being a man is about and talk to him and encourage him. Build him up. Who's speaking into those young ladies that they're beautiful so they don't chase after the next high schooler that just kind of flirts with them? that tells them you're a beautiful young lady who's chosen by God for a beautiful life. Save your sexuality for marriage. Who's speaking into those kids? People in this church that are called to do it. Are you called? Are you called? Then get busy. Some of you, the response to rekindle first love, it isn't an emotional thing. You remember where you need to go. You repent. You just go back and say, all right, I need to be in kids' ministry again. It's that simple. That's what Jesus said. Remember, repent, and start doing the things that I've called you to do. And then, oh man, church comes alive. We spend a week with Jesus, then we come here, we worship, and we're serving. And the kingdom of God grows and flourishes because the people who have ears to hear pay attention. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.